Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Do you have ASD or ADHD and you're looking for a great coach to help you get along your way? Well, my next guest is an ADHD coach who also has ASD and she's got lots of experience because her kids have ASD and ADHD and so does her husband and so does she. So she's got a lot of experience to share with you and a lot of grateful tips. So sit back, relax and grab your favorite beverage and let's learn more about her. See you there. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Shape shifting, same player, different position. The definition can stick with them. Drifting through these layers of wisdom. I took a break and be different. All right. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today in the show, I'm joined with Vida. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay. I am a Audi HD coach. Well, really neurodivergent coach. And I come to it from a little bit different background than most people come to this type of coaching. I was a teacher. I was a public school teacher for 15 years and my sister was diagnosed with ASD at two. Um, and I saw my mom advocating for her and going through all those struggles when I was in college. And I never like, I just felt like I was in a place where I could help level the playing field. I could help students like my sister. So I got my special education certification and I got my behavior modification training and I started moving up the ladder and I became a mom. And then I got diagnosed with autism and ADHD and OCD. And it's been a really wild ride. And that's just personally, but professionally, I taught at this high school. It was a very low socioeconomic high school. And when kids graduate high school, there's really not a lot of resources for them. It's just, okay, you're 18, good luck. And so mm-hmm. a lot of my students that were in college and adult life, they would come back and talk to me and see me. And I basically started coaching them on executive function when no one is there to scaffold you. You don't have five teachers and a principal and people wanting to know why you're not showing up for class or why you're late to work. And the need outgrew the hours of the day. So I had to resign from teaching so I could do this full time. That's one of the things I've learned when I was in college is things change. You don't have teachers pushing you because at that point, it's not their job. You need to learn to advocate for yourself. Right. And if you don't, you'll fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. You will struggle and you either will fail out or you'll barely squeak by. Mm -hmm. I learned the hard way that if you don't reach out, you're going to burn out. Yeah. And I learned this because even though I had a disability advisor who I talked with once a week, had a meeting with him, my first time having exams, even though I had on-time testing, I had no idea how to study for an exam. Right. 
And I figured, oh, maybe I'll just cram it. Mm -hmm. I literally failed almost every one of my courses. And I'm and in college in England, you get to do a refit, which is basically we're going to give you a second chance. Huh. But it won't be right away. Fortunately, right. my recent happened just happened to happen during the time I was working on my dissertation. So oh, I was wow. trying to balance two things. Then I wound up with a really he he set me up with a well-being advisor who gave me a study guide, and then I took that too much to heart, and all I did was study, eat, and sleep. I didn't give myself a break, and I burnt out. Right. And my friends were the first to see that. They're, they're like, you look like crap. And I'm like, all I do is eat, sleep, and study. And they're like, well, you need to take a break. Yeah. So, like you said, it's very important for students who are going away, who are neurodivergent, to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're gonna you're you're gonna push yourself too hard. You're gonna look out, or you're just gonna squeak by. Right, and I don't think these things are taught in high school. I mean, and I I was on the front lines in a high school. I know that these are not taught at a high school um, because there's so much handholding and scaffolding done. And that's not just mm -hmm. for neurodivergent kids, that's for neurotypical kids, it's for everybody. So a lot of students struggle when they make that step and all of a sudden they have this autonomy and they don't know what to do with it. It's like, you mean I'm the one that's responsible for time management in this thing? We've, we have these kids that are used to a, it's, it's like a factory job, you know, the bell rings, you go to class, you do this. And there's lots of studies that show that, you know, public schools in America set kids up for, you know, factory work. But I think neurodivergent kids struggle so much in public education, socially, academically, all these things. And then once they graduate, there's nothing. And so yeah. my kind of, my heart goes out to these kids. And so in my private practice, I work with college students. And then just like how it grew from when I was teaching, it just snowballed. So I do a lot of couples therapy also, because guess what else that you don't learn as a kid? Appropriate social interactions inside a relationship. So all of these things that I have experience with um, as a teacher, as someone who has some behavioral modification and intervention specialty, it's, it's, it's needed now, but it's when people ask me what I'm doing, I'm like, well, I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> so when you found out you had a ASD and ADHD, how did it change your, did it change your view of things, the way you saw things? For me, it was, Oh, that makes sense. You know, it, it was kind of a, I didn't go through a grief period that a lot of late diagnosed people do. Like we go through all these feels. I was like, it was a way to help know myself better. So of course I got really hyper-focused on looking back at my own journey and seeing where these signs manifested or when I was showing signs that people missed, because I did not want to miss them in my own students, my own clients, my own children. But I do remember talking about it with my mother 
my mom had way more problem with it than I did. And so I was an only child for 14 years before my parents had more children. So my brother and sister are like 14 and 16 years in between me and them. And my mom was like, there is no way you could be autistic. There's no way you could have these learning disabilities. You had friends and you were a good student. But I was a really high masking mm-hmm. girl. And I had a lot of individualized attention from my parents for a long time. So I figured out that uh, love and was performance-based and that's where I sought it. Like I knew how to get positive attention because I knew how to play the game, which that's like very autistic mindset. Like I knew how to play this game. And my mom finally broke down one time and she goes, you can't be autistic because that means I was a bad mother and I missed that. It's sad for a mother to say that to their child to saying, you can't be autistic because if you are, then I'm a bad mother. I mean, that yeah. had, that really had to affect you somewhere deep down. Yeah, I, I still don't think she 100% believes me, but I... Uh, am autistic and uh, she she can accept the ADHD diagnosis she's like oh yeah because she's one of those people that we're all a little ADHD she's that kind of mom and Mm -hmm. uh, and she's like yeah I see your OCD tendencies manifest and it's like yeah so I just I talk about it in therapy <laughs> because a therapist is paid to listen and help me with my problems. Uh, our parents are not. <laughs> and, um, but it did, it hurt my feelings just because it really wasn't about me. Was it? It was about her. No. What are some of the struggles you see your clients deal with, with their ADHD? Um, there's like, you know, the big stereotypical ones like time management and uh stimming and and uh food and money those are like the big ones time food and money but my i have a specialty in time management i have a specialty in like relationships and behavior modification and and why people do the things they do that's you know, part of my own hyper-focus is I really like to know why people do the things they do. And I think that we get caught up in in the minutia of a thing instead of looking at what we're trying to accomplish. And that's where I like to help people. It's like, if you are a couple and you're always arguing about the laundry not being done, what if you just outsource the laundry if you have that luxury in your budget and then no one has to argue about it it's just it's an easy fix but when you're a neurodivergent and you're in a situation we're too close to it we're too emotionally attached to it to see the fix and that's why coaches and therapists and doctors and you know that's why we have outside help but i love being a coach because I can help people really easily a lot of times. Right. How do you handle your own ADHD along with your kids? Ooh, that is a good question. Because everybody in my house is neurodivergent. 
my husband has ADHD and he's a combat veteran. So he has post-traumatic stress on top of that. And then, and then I have my diagnosis and then both of my kids are ADHD, uh, ASD and, and ADHD. And it is, it is difficult because neurodivergent kids ask questions. There's not a lot of instant obedience to orders in my house. There's not, there's a lot of whys and a lot of, I need to explain this and understand this. And so as the ringleader of the circus here, uh, it takes a lot of mindfulness and planning and extreme flexibility. And I tell my clients this all the time. I used to tell my students this, not every day is a gold star day. So there are days when all you're going to do is get up and make sure everybody eats and that's it, you know, and those days are completely valid. Those are just your low performing days, your low energy days. And then there are going to be days when you get up and you have tons of energy and the dopamine's firing off really great and you accomplish all the things. Mm -hmm. That day is also an outlier. So those high performing and low performing days are outliers because most people live in a very nice bell curve in the middle. What are some of your struggles you deal with on a day to day? Uh, For me, I struggle with self-care for like, personally, I struggle with self-care. I forget to eat and I forget to drink water. If I was a plant, I'd have probably already died. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Occasionally I will forget to take showers. And so I have alarms. That's, that's Mm -hmm. how I have managed my own uh, things. I have alarms on my phone that say very specifically what to do at that time. So one goes off at noon and it tells me to eat. And one goes off 10 minutes later that says, no, really stop what you're doing and go eat. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have an app for you that will eliminate all your alarms that will help you out so much. And I use it because if I don't use it, I'll forget to brush my teeth. I'll forget to take a shower. I'll forget to get dressed and I'll be in my PJs all day. Have you ever heard of Timo? Timo. T-I-I-M-O. T-I-I-M-O. I haven't. What they are is a they're a visual planner for those who are, uh, who have ADHD or ASD, and it's a, you. It's free on the online, but if you want to put it on your phones or your tablets, you can choose the price you want to pay. Oh, okay. And they give you three different pricings, and it's great. You can use your own icons, or they have icons to symbolize different things. I love. And that. it's a great app. I uh, so I'm definitely going to check that out. Recently. My husband bought me a, um, it's a Fisher Price Lumi Lou. <laughs> and I like cute things. So at Christmas time, we found it. It was very clearance, but it looks like a cloud and it has a little star on it. And it's for kids to help them with routines. Like it's got to brush your teeth and take a shower. And it's got all that stuff for like a nighttime routine. And it's got an app and you can set it up. And when you accomplish something, you go hit a button and the star lights up. And so you get a little dopamine from that and everything. And uh, 
I kind of love it. So I, I'm always interested in finding new things. Thank you for that. No problem. Have you ever heard of a YouTube channel called How to ADHD? Yes, I have. Have you? You should pick up her book. Okay. She's written. They she they um asked her to write a book, and she wrote a book. It's called How to ADHD: How to Work with Your Brain and Not Against It. Mm -hmm. And then there's another book out there by a woman who's got. ADHD called the anti-planner and what oh, I've is, seen that is, one yeah so you know about that yeah I think I have all the books about time management and planning <laughs> <laughs> and then even a bunch of ones from when I was teaching because um, I do think teaching gives me a very unique perspective because like with time management planning different things with curriculum as a teacher you have to look at things in a very specific way and so teaching other people that that's generally where I start with. I'm like, okay, we're going to start with a blank week and we're going to, you know, put your non-negotiables on it. I, I actually help them schedule their day just like if they were in school and that's our rough draft. That's where we start. And then we dial it in for what is really what they need. I think one of the biggest problems with those of us who have ADHD is one besides getting situated in in college it's the minute we get out of college we have no set routine absolutely so it's like now what do i do with my life i haven't i have no routine until i get a job and but the problem is what if you don't get a job mm -hmm. those of us out there who are audi adhd struggle with finding yeah. work because companies don't want somebody who's got a who's got audi adhd they want someone who's straight autistic who's got that kind of savant mind who's brilliant yeah. with programming or coding or mm -hmm. or anything they don't want someone who struggles with things like that i i mean i agree i have clients that ask about disclosure a lot but i think that routines are easy to set up where we struggle with sticking to them is because when we get to a point where we know it, it stops being fun and then we rebel mm -hmm. against it because there's not any dopamine, there's not any chemical there. So for a lot of people, like even setting up routines for their kids, but setting up routines for them, I teach people how to do a menu. So if you're... If you need to work out, if that's one of the things on your calendar, we're going to have a time set aside for movement. And then I'm we, together, we're going to come up with a menu of options. So you have a low energy option, a mid energy option, and a high energy option. And then maybe one that's just, you know, just a random one that you put in there because we are less likely to avoid a task if we get to choose the task. And so the menu helps us because the goal is that we move every day at this time. It's really, it really doesn't matter if you're hula hooping or you're walking the dog or if you're swimming or whatever, the goal is to hula hoop. Mm -hmm. And so people will be more successful if they have options because yes, we struggle with autonomy, but we want autonomy so badly.
we want to be in charge of ourselves. No, are you on any kind of medication for your ADHD? Uh, yeah, I have been uh, on, and I use that loosely on Adderall for, for probably seven years, but in the last three years, I rarely take it because we have a lot of shortage here in our state. And my 17 year old daughter is on Adderall. And so I try to make sure that she gets her prescription. If, if it's a difference between her getting her prescription and me not getting mine, I just don't, I won't use mine. I mean, that's funny is, um, I, after my trial with my ADHD, with my ASD, um, I st I wanted to have a medication because that worked with me because the yeah. the trial medicine I was on worked. I was a different person, and I talked to the psychiatrist that was running it, and we became friends. And then I became his client, and I'm like, "You got to find me something." And then he put me on Adderall. Mm -hmm. And what was funny is, I went from five milligrams all the way down to two point five milligrams. Yeah. Because I can't deal with the aggression. And I can't deal with the fact that my heart feels like I'm running a race. Oh, yeah. And there there are other things that, like, I haven't been on it my whole life because I was late diagnosed. But just in the time that I've been on it, it's it became less and less, I feel like, attractive because it didn't, it really wasn't helping me manage. It was causing more problems. And then I couldn't get it all the time. So I couldn't stay, my body couldn't stay consistent with the medicine. And I'm with you. Like I get headaches and, and different things. So I don't take it anymore. I've talked to my doctor about finding other things, but uh, I have an absorb absorption issue with medicines, certain medicines. They don't seem to work as well on me. So I'm more into, for my own personal journey, I do a supplements and things, movement. I do, I do a lot of behavioral coping skills to help manage mine now do you deal with racing thoughts well yes um but not all the time okay how do you deal with that because i know a lot of people out there who have adhd or even asd or both have racing thoughts and it's i know for them or even for me it's hard to sleep I have to take CBD to quiet my mind before I go to bed. I, um, so this is, this is the irony of a lot of people's late diagnosis story. And it's not everybody, but I've heard it a lot. My symptoms seem to be m more when I was diagnosed and I started unmasking. Then all of a sudden I had these problems. So I never had a trouble sleeping at night because of racing thoughts until after I was diagnosed and I unmasked. So, cause I was paying attention to all these things now that were part of me and that I had been suppressing all this time. And so, uh, I do, I have a nighttime routine <laughs> that consists of what used to soothe me as a kid what got me in that mindset to relax. And so I will um, take a shower, 
And then I watch two episodes of a cartoon. Right now it's Bluey. I watch two episodes of Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> and I have um I have my uh stuffed animal that I sleep with and my husband and I go to bed. But that even he will tell me because he's a school teacher still. He will tell you, he's like, if you do that at night, you you sleep better. But I think it's because it puts me in a mindset to I didn't struggle with racing thoughts as a kid. I was able to let that go and go to sleep. I know when it, for me, besides the CBD, I try to limit my screen time. Yeah. You, if I still can't sleep, I will use my tablet, but I'll turn on my blue light filter. Mm -hmm. And once I start feeling sleepy to the point where I can't focus on what I'm watching, I'll just put my tablet away and just close my eyes. Yeah. And then what I'll, usually I know if I'm extremely tired, if I try to open my eyes and I just can't and it's a struggle, I'm like, it's not worth it. Don't fight it. Yeah. I, I grew up in, I've read an article one time. It said people that around my age grew up in what they called the MASH generation. So our parents would watch TV and then everybody would fall asleep watching MASH, like all these kids. And my mom is undiagnosed ADHD and she struggles with racing thoughts. And she has like, as long as I can remember. And so that's how she would go to sleep. And that's part of the reason because it we're, we're I think sometimes we're very easily conditioned that's part of the reason that the TV puts me in that space to go to sleep because that's how I fell asleep for so long. And um, so a lot of things that I do with people when we're doing coping skills is I do uh, play therapy with people sometimes or even mm -hmm. like age regression about our mindset. So it's like, okay, when you were a kid, did you worry about this? Yes or no? Some people do, some people don't. And it's like, how did you feel in that situation? So, because a lot of autistic individuals and a lot of neurodivergent individuals, I don't feel like we're truly allowed to be kids. So when we're unmasking, it's learning that these things are okay. Like hand flapping for some people, if they get mm -hmm. really excited, like uncontrolled joy, right? Because when we were kids, we were told to stop that. But the awesome thing about being an adult is no one can tell you that. So we do a lot of uh, embracing those appropriate impulses. I think one of the biggest problems with unmasking is people want a safe place to do it. Absolutely. Because they're so afraid of the negativity of showing who we truly are. Yes. Well, it is it is my goal to make my house a safe place especially since mm -hmm. both of my kids are diagnosed to make my house a safe place and so part of my unmasking isn't just for my own journey it's to model that for them to like it's safe to do that here and then as we go out into the world to teach them like i would never tell anyone to mask themselves i wouldn't but as someone that was a special ed teacher for a long time, it's like there are some times where this type of STEM may or may not be appropriate or it might not be well received, you know, so it's a lot of it's still 
I mean, I still stand by it. The the most exhausting thing about being ASD is having to uh, is having to um, think about how my actions and words and everything affects everyone else. All right. How do you stay focused on one task? So it depends on my brain and where it's at in the day. But there are times where I have to shut off everything except the one thing. Like when I was a kid, back before I was diagnosed, if something was really boring, I would go in my closet and I would shut the door. So there were no windows, there was no outside stimuli. I could just focus on that. And so now, obviously, that I'm diagnosed, it makes so much sense. Like, oh, I get why I was doing that. But back then, I was just being weird, you know. And so now I, when I'm having trouble focusing, I will start shutting down the external stimuli that is distracting me. Like, I cannot talk to people if the television is on. Like, it's like a tractor beam. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I'm just, so I have to turn it off if people want to talk to me. And so when were you, you say your kids were diagnosed, when were they diagnosed? So right about the time that I was diagnosed, that happens for a lot of parents. Like my, my daughter was diagnosed in the fifth grade and uh, I noticed uh, problems like, and I had to fight with her school. Like, and at the time I was not a special education teacher yet, but I, I was the inclusion teacher. So special ed kids um, in the school needed to take high school English. They were in my class. And uh, I started noticing my daughter was having all these issues. Um, and I asked her teacher about it. I took the steps. I did all the things because I'm very good with uh, procedures and checklists. And uh, they wouldn't listen to me. And I very quickly became that mother. I was, oh, well, here comes Miss Carrie, like she's coming. And like, I have like documentation, I have doctor's notes, I have this, I have that. And through that process, my daughter was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That's what, really? where she went first. And then her brother is three years younger than her. Well, almost four years younger than her. So as we were going through it, we ended up changing her school. And so I homeschooled her. And about six months after I started homeschooling her, I brought her brother home and we, I homeschooled him. So even though I was a public school teacher, I found a school that was like a hybrid school so I could homeschool my kids. And um, she stopped struggling as much in school because she was safe all day and she knew what to expect. And, you know, I wasn't forcing her to do these time tests uh, a lot of people struggle with that, but they gave her so much anxiety. Like she would chew on her finger. That's what, that was her stem. And she like for a long time, the knuckle on her right hand, like it didn't even have wrinkles on it because she would just chew it so much. But I remember that whole process of having to fight for my kid. And I never wanted anyone else to have to be in that position. So it was kind of a, a, a snowball. My daughter got diagnosed. Then when my son started exhibiting signs, he got diagnosed. That's when I was because I was filling out all the paperwork for him. And I was like, man, that's really 
Sounds like me. What do you think the biggest problem with those of us who are diagnosed with ADHD is? Is it our executive functioning? Is it the fact that we chase dopamine from one to the next? Is it job related? Where is the biggest, where do you see the biggest struggle is? Well, I think that's a hard question to answer because we're also individualized in our struggle. And especially for people with ADHD, what we struggle with today may not be the struggle next week. So it is like trying to solve a Rubik's cube that is consistently changing <laughs> the patterns. And, um, or maybe it's the labyrinth in the movie, the labyrinth, <laughs> you know, it's constantly changing. So I think that there are like the big three time management, coping skills, things like that. Um, and those are great places to start when you're coaching someone or if, if you're someone who's neurodivergent and you're trying to get help. It's a great place to start with the big three, but that's the rough draft. And then you have to drill down to what is specific to that person. All right. Why did you want to become, why did you want to become an ADHD coach? I wanted to be become an ADHD coach because I was helping these students and uh, that had graduated and there was such a huge need. Like there was just, there are things in place to help kids in college, there are, but sometimes they're hard to find and they're more now than they used to be, but there's nobody to help an adult that doesn't take that path. Like, so if you don't go to some kind of secondary school, a trade school, a college or whatever, you just are a, an adult that just goes to work. There's nothing in place to help those, those young adults. And then, so I had these kids that were for like the first person in their family to go to college and all of their parents were blue car collar workers. So as I started coaching them, I would have these parents come to me like, I didn't know that. Could you teach me how to do that? And uh, that's why I was saying that the need was so huge. It just outgrew the hours in the day. Like I even do some contracts for our state and their Department of Rehabilitation Services because there's just not anybody in my state that that does this. How do you deal with your own executive functioning? Oh. I am a big fan. If, if it works into the budget, I'm a big fan of outsourcing certain things. Um, I tell people all the time, Jimmy Buffett, millionaire, and uh, does not mow his own grass. He is not washing his own laundry. And so all these people that we aspire to on pop culture and different stuff and, uh, they're not doing executive function things like they are wealthy and they're paying someone to do that. So the most freeing thing I ever did for myself was pay a teenager in my neighborhood to mow my grass. <laughs> and uh, I didn't mind mowing the grass. It's not that hard of a task, but with work and the kids and everything, I, uh, it was just always 
getting kicked or, you know, down to tomorrow or the next day. And then before you know it, I would get one of those little flyers from the city that said, you know, you need to cut your grass. It was so embarrassing. It was like the most easy thing in the world. So I just started paying. And this is at the time my kids were little. So I just started paying one of the teenagers in the neighborhood every two weeks. They'd show up and mow my lawn and it was the most freeing thing. I just didn't have to worry about it. It was on autopilot. So that's my goal in life one day is to grow up enough that I can outsource all the things that I struggle with. And most people, I can say this, most people, it is laundry. And finally, where can people find out more about you? Oh, okay. So um, they can always email me at vita at the neurodivergentteacher.com. They can find me uh, and coach that I work with. Her and I started um, ADHD Upgrade Academy, and it the website is theoriginaladhdcoach.com. And I'm on TikTok at the Neurodivergent Teacher. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Reed Miles, and that's Vida Curie, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you, Vida. Thank you.